We focus on the capital stack so you can get your deals done right. We are Bo Baker and Anne-Marie Garavaglia from the Capital Markets Group at Ackerman LLP. Ackerman is a top 100 U.S. law firm ranked in the AmLaw 100, recognized as a leading real estate firm by the commercial property executive, distinguished among the most forward-thinking firms in the industry by the Financial Times, and ranked among the top five large law firms for highest representation of women, as well as a top four large law firm for diversity by Law 360. Ackerman is focused on growing their real estate capital markets group, which currently consists of 25 attorneys throughout Florida, New York, Georgia, California, North Carolina, Colorado, Texas, and Illinois. Our team of experts will guide you through complex transactions to navigate change, these opportunities, and help drive innovation and growth. In short, we will help you stack your capital stack to get your deals done right. Welcome to the Stacked Up Podcast. Our guest speaker today is Anne-Marie DeCola, the CEO from TREP, the leading provider of information, analytics, and services to the structured finance, CRE, and banking markets. Also joining the podcast is Ackerman's own Carol Faber. Carol is focused on the distressed property market out of our Miami office. We are thrilled to have her as part of the podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Carol Faber, and I am so pleased and honored to be here on our Ackerman Stacked Up podcast today with our guest, Anne-Marie DeCola. I'm pleased and excited and honored, actually. I have known Anne-Marie for many years, and I know that um, this is going to be an interesting uh, podcast for everyone. And I know what a rock star Anne-Marie is in the commercial real estate world. But just in case there's anyone who doesn't, let me um, just introduce her briefly. And it will have to be briefly because otherwise I could take up almost all, our whole hour um, with all of her accomplishments. In addition to acting as CEO of TREP, Anne-Marie has been actively involved in CREFSI, the Commercial Real Estate Finance Council, pretty much since its inception. She has served as the chair not once, but twice. She was the first woman chair, and she continues to serve on the Board of Governors of CREFSI. She also serves on various advisory boards, including the NYU Stern Center for Commercial Real Estate Finance Research, and she has served on the board of directors of other companies, such as Gerber Life Insurance Company, and also is currently serving on, um, on other boards as well. She has been acknowledged and lauded um, by various uh, industry publications. Uh, she's been noted as a top woman in real estate and a woman of influence by Real Estate Forum magazine. She's been profiled in the New York Times, interviewed on CN CNBC, and recognized by the Women's Venture Fund. Um, so, and on top of everything else, Anne-Marie is uh, an attorney, um, although she isn't practicing in her day-to-day -day life, but she certainly has that background. Looking forward to chatting with you today. I gave a little bit of information about you and TREP, but please please fill us in a little bit more. Tell us about TREP, uh, what they do, and about you and your role as CEO. Well, I'd be delighted to, Carol, and, and thank you so much. Thank you and everyone at Ackerman for inviting me uh, to be on this podcast today. Uh, I also am very honored uh, to, to do so, so thank you very much, um, and a pleasure to talk about, about all these topics. Um, TREP uh, has actually been, uh, it's a very established company that was started uh, in the late 70s. Um, and TREP began helping early investors and institutional buyers and sellers of mortgage-backed securities understand those securities. Um, and in due course, uh, as we approached the 90s um, and the market was pivoting to its next frontier, commercial mortgage-backed bonds, uh, TREP did a few things. Uh, it decided to pivot from being a financial consulting firm 
that had learned the value of amassing data on these deals um, and pivoting from a financial consulting firm to a firm that provided uh, end-user software products along with good databases of data so that its clients could do detailed analysis um, that was uh, individual to what they needed done, where TREP would provide the analytical software and the databases of information. And at that same time, it also decided to specialize in commercial mortgage-backed bonds. Um, as a result, today, TREP has an extensive history in the CMBS bond market in the U.S., and an extensive database, which, of course, tell a lot of very important signals to the market. Um, another thing that uh, TREP did over these years is it branched out from CMBS and tracking the commercial uh, real estate debt market through CMBS that provide other ways we can give our clients important signals of what is happening in the CRE space and how they can use those signals for the different important investment decisions they have to make. Um, in the course of working with banks, um, we also became very pivotal in helping banks build stress test models. Um, and um, what we have found, by the way, is in recent years, as certain regulations were relaxed and not all banks that had been required to do stress testing continued to do so, um, were, re were required to continue to do so, a number of banks still chose as part of good business planning and good risk assessment. Um, and we've worked with, with those institutions to help them with those models. We provide default models um, uh, so that institutions and clients uh, can utilize those models in assessing risk. Uh, we provide services to the tax assessor community uh, to understand value and risk, et cetera. Um, as a result, it gives us a fascinating perch from which um, we can um, help track what is happening in these markets and what may yet happen. Um, and needless to say, the last 15 months in the U.S. Um, have provided um, an extraordinary, extraordinary amount of, 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 of impact on the commercial real estate market um, that we have been um, monitoring, watching, and alerting our clients about. For my own part uh, in TREP and how I came to TREP, um, uh, I've, you know, was, uh, I, I went to law school um, in law school, and I fell in love with commercial real estate. I practiced commercial real estate in the early part of my career as a young associate. Um, and um, uh, at, at a certain point, the firm I was with um, became a victim of uh, the recession of the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and I made the decision uh, to, to move from that firm uh, to a company I had brought to that firm as a client, and that company was TREP. Um, I began doing legal work for TREP when it started to analyze some of the earliest commercial mortgage-backed bonds um, and recently celebrated my 30th year at TREP. The first 15 years of my tenure at TREP was spent as general counsel, um, and what I always tell people is that the value of being uh, inside a company and being in-house legal counsel is a fascinating way to internalize the business vibe of, of, that, of that company and to really understand the business, um, you know, from the very, very inside of it. And, and that was fascinating. So I got involved in strategic planning. I got involved in our, our pivot to being a software data and analytics firm. I got involved in seeing us pivot our business from a pre-internet business to a business that optimized everything that the internet and the cloud and modern technology has allowed us to utilize. 
So um, it, it, it was a fascinating tenure as general counsel because I, I, I became a business person as well. And, and as a result, when TREP was purchased by DMGT in 2004, and there was a vacancy at the top uh, for CEO, I put my hat in the ring. And I indicated that I wanted to be considered for the role. And I got that nod, and I've served in that role since April of 2005. Um, and um, that's been um, a very, very uh, rewarding uh, period uh, because uh, since then, we've certainly seen a lot of things happen in our economy, the great financial crisis, the recovery from that, uh, changes in laws, changes in regulations, uh, different, uh, different rise and fall of different parts of the property sector, always interesting, um, and that's where TREP feels it provides a lot of value because the CRE space is always changing, it's never homogenous, and that allows us to provide our clients with different insights that they need at different times. Anne-Marie, that is, that is fantastic. I'm, I'm curious to know, um, you mentioned TREP's clients, but I'm interested to know, and if you could tell us how TREP um, gets this information out. For example, I know you have clients, and maybe you could mention some of them that hire you for specific projects. You also put out uh, newsletters and information. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you provide this data to mm -hmm. specific clients and into the industry at large. Well, you know, Carol, I think um, the theme behind all of that is, is trust. Early on, TREP got involved in the commercial, real, in the commercial mortgage-backed securities sector when it was really getting underway. Um, and, and early on, we worked directly with issuers who were interested in bringing deals to market and we modeled their deals in our system and replicated uh, the deal structure and tied out with the issuers on the day of closing of a bond transaction. And from that point on, we independently monitored the deal. We were put on distribution lists for updates from the services of the loans under the deal, uh, updates from the trustees. We focused on a high-quality highly precise, highly accurate model that we updated in a highly timely fashion. And the market quickly grew to trust our accuracy and to trust our independence. And because of that trust, our, our brand became uh, uh, something that issuers wanted to be able to say. They would be, uh, you know, issuing a deal, and they would say, "This is going to be separately uh, monitored and monitored, modeled and monitored by TREP." And what that told investors was that an independent party was going to be able to give them the status of the deal. They did not have to rely on the same institution that had necessarily sold it to them, but someone independent of it was going to uh, tell it like it is. And I remember early on people asking me at times, saying, well, Anne-Marie, um, doesn't, you know, uh, you know, issuer, issuing company A, don't they mind if you report that one of their commercial mortgage loans under that bond um, is, 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 is defaulting? And I said, no. I said, because it's a fact and they know that if the same thing happens to issuer company B, we're going to report it as well. And it was that neutrality and independence that created this incredible level of trust. And all of our work emanates from actual deal documentation, the loan files, the, the factual data from the deal. Um, over time that reputation for quality and trust allowed us then to reach out to insurance companies and create consortia of information where they provide us 
actual loan-by-loan information that we aggregate, anonymize, and report back. The same has happened with a consortia consortia of banks. Um, So as a result, based on the quality and the trust that were our hallmark from the beginning and continue to today, we have been able to receive actual, detailed, factual information from the very sources of these loans and deals and turn all of that into very telling information that allows our clients to uh, use that information in their own investment decisions, whether that investment is buying a bond, whether that investment is lending on a property, whether that investment is you know, any other form of investing or buying a form of real estate or a form of real estate debt. It really is, um, you know, uh, very, very helpful to the market because investors, all of us, are risk takers, right? You go into business every day, you're taking some form of risk. The more you are able to track that risk, the more you are able to understand it, the more likely you may be because your eyes are open and you have a way of of measuring it and understanding it and monitoring it and watching for it. One of the reasons TREP pivoted from being a financial consulting firm to being a company that instead took its proprietary software product for the user to decide for themselves is that every user, every institution has a different risk story. They have a different risk appetite and they have different risk parameters. So they're certainly willing to take risk, and they know best how they want to view it and see it and measure it. And we endeavor to give them all the tools to do that and as much data as we can so that they don't have the work of collecting it. They can just zero in on it, focus on it, and make their own decisions for their institution based on their risk strategy at any given point. Well, they say say knowledge is power, and so you are certainly providing uh, your clients and and the commercial real estate community with that that knowledge and that power. Um, I'm curious about your role as CEO and what you've seen. What would you describe as some of the pivotal moments that you've seen and that you, in that role, took advantage of um, on behalf of TREP in the last several years. I would imagine, obviously, the pandemic is a big one and the the, uh, Great Recession several years ago. So I'm curious to hear about about that. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Thank you for asking me that question because uh, in thinking of today's podcast, I was reflecting not merely on the last 15 months but the last 15 years and specifically what it was like to go through the great financial crisis. Uh, Needless to say, um, one of the many research pieces that we're putting out at TREP is a bit of a compare between what's happened in the pandemic versus what what happened during the great financial crisis. When I look at, at, at the great financial crisis as CEO, one of the things we did was we never stopped innovating through through the crisis. We, we looked at the situation and said, okay, what do our clients need need now? What, what have we been doing for them that they still need exactly as we did it? And what are their different needs now? Okay, and I... Um, and, and as a result, we kept innovating. We kept our ear to the ground constantly on changes in regulations, et cetera. And we were ready. We were ready to help them uh, with different insights. For example, during the great financial crisis, uh, when um, lending and, and, and credit and, uh, were all constrained, um, we, we looked at the way our research and our data could be used just as well and just as productively to look for distress uh, because there certainly were, uh, were investors 
who were very willing to look at distressed assets and to use that as an opportunity to see where 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 they could optimize for those types of situations. Uh, we kept innovating our, our products. We kept uh, enhancing our software. We kept adding other features and functionality, and we even came out with new products. That's a very important theme, if you will, for the pandemic. Um, when I look at what's taken place in the commercial real estate space, and by the way, it's not all gloom and doom, okay, but I think that leaders of businesses, owners of property, lenders of capital have to be asking themselves the same question right now. What has my business, what has my investment strategy, what has my risk outlook done all along that is unchanged, that I still should do? But now, what should I tweak? What should I adjust? What should I do somewhat differently because the world's not exactly the same and we're not going exactly back to where we were in the U.S. in January of 2020, right? So um, when I think about the pivotal moments and the most important thing to do, just as everything seems to be changing around you and the ground is shaking under your feet, is take a deep breath and keep moving forward. Don't let it freeze you still, but instead say, I must keep moving forward. Some of that will be the same, and some of that will be different. And obviously, the trick is determining which. Um, happened in the pandemic, um, of course, terrifying health news that we started to be confronted with in the early part of 2020. Um, and, 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 and obviously an, an incalculable human tragedy that we began to witness. From a business perspective, one of the other things that I had experienced that was born of crisis was being at TREP in 9-11. Okay, so going all the way back to 2001. Wow. Um, we have a large group of clients from across the country, but as, as, as you can appreciate, a large amount of clients based in New York. And fortunately, that morning, we weren't visiting any of them at the World Trade Center. Okay? Um, but after the incalculable human tragedy of 9-11, when we looked at our business, um, we felt very vulnerable. We felt a whole new vulnerability being in Manhattan. And as a result, we took a very new, hard look at our disaster recovery and business continuity planning. We certainly had that in place, but now we looked at it with a whole new sense of urgency and a deeper level of scrutiny than ever. And starting in 2001, we had... We had multiple scenarios that we tested on a regular basis, and one of the scenarios we tested for business continuity was, what if we cannot go to our office building? How do we run the entire company if everybody has to be at home? We practiced that no less often than one to two weeks a year on a regular basis. And often, a popular time where we would test that would be the week between Christmas and New Year's at the end of every year, where we would tell the a whole company, everyone who isn't on vacation next week, work from home. We're doing another test of running TREP completely remotely. Now, this is everything. This is data being distributed to clients. These are data feeds going out on a regular basis. This is the email system. This is our front desk person answering our main number at her house. Whole thing remotely. And Carol, we had practiced that for years. Consequently, in January and February of 2020, as the news of the virus got worse and worse and it started to impact New York, 
I knew that I was one company email away from telling everybody that they could begin to work from home immediately and would get everybody out of, hopefully, harm's way of commuting, transmission, any way of catching this. And that's exactly what we did at TREP. That, um, that is just incredibly prescient of you and the firm. I, I think, you know, your, your observation that, that crisis uh, is a great teacher and your advice to keep moving forward, and then this example of how you used that and right. how that benefited you is, is really just a fantastic uh, example of, of, of how to keep moving forward. Before we get into some of the nitty-gritty about the pandemic, how right. it's affected real estate, what's happening going forward, I did want to ask you, you are and have been a CEO of a, of a major commercial real estate company, um, which, as you know, we don't see a lot of women, although we are seeing more and more, fortunately, in those positions. I'm curious um, to hear your thoughts on that, how you were able to do that. I know you mentioned at the beginning that you threw your name in the ring, which I think is very important, and also um, you know, what you're seeing and what advice you might have for other women following in your footsteps. Thank you for asking that question. Um, a couple of things that come to mind um, immediately. Um, I was on a panel recently um, with a group of women talking precisely about what our greatest influence was in our lives um, that helped us seek to achieve high-ranking positions in business. And when I reflected on that question, I realized that although I have been uh, very uh, blessed by having some mentors uh, in my career, who, by the way, were all men, um, I, I, I realized that the earliest and, and best influences on my life um, and my outlook to business were my mother and father. And it stemmed from, from a very early age, um, giving me a, a belief in myself um, that I could do anything I set my mind to do. And I stressed that they weren't teaching me to be cocky, but they were teaching me to have a lot of self-esteem and self-respect and a belief in myself and that if I wanted it, I could get it. And the other important lesson from my parents, which also absolutely influenced my career, um, was the importance of relationships with people and that uh, your goal in life was to build as many bridges as possible uh, from a personal and a professional perspective and never to burn bridges. And later on, when I grew up and was in the business world, the legal world and the business world, um, networking automatically revealed itself to me as something very important because it was right in line with what my parents had always taught me about the importance of relationships with people. And, of course, that was borne out when uh, I brought a company called TREP to my law firm uh, which later turned into be my future employer. Um, so uh, those those lessons uh, were were very valuable lessons that I learned from a very young age. And I think Carol, that um, my parents never couched anything to me um, as well. You're female, so you have to do this this way, or you're female, you have to do this that way. Those lessons that they taught me really apply to men or women. And as a result, unconsciously when I began my career, I just automatically had confidence in myself and valued the people I met and created a great network. And I could have done that whether I were their daughter or their son. It sounds like you had some very special parents and some fantastic mentors um, I, I, I really did along the way. And the other thing that I encourage, you know, women, learn from every experience you are in. That's great. 
So let's let's talk a little bit about the market. Um, we are now finally, mm. I think, coming out of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like the markets are busy and moving. There's a lot of pent up demand. Yes. Um, and um, I'm curious to hear what what you're thinking, what you're seeing. Um, yes. What, if anything, what predictions you have for us? Okay. Um, going forward. So. You know, Carol, if you and I had been having this conversation a year ago today, you would have heard us being far more far more bearish, us trap being far more bearish. Um, we're not we're not bearish. Um, we actually have a, a very a very positive outlook for the CRE space. And let me give you some perspective on that. Uh, we all know the 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 shock of the lockdown. We all experience the rapidity of things just closing up uh, in the U.S. last March. And as I mentioned, you know, uh, although it is not the only uh, part of the market we track, the CMBS market has been a pivotal part of of our history, and it's a great proxy for what happens in the commercial real estate uh, market generally. And there is a frequency of updated information in the CMBS market that that gives you a lot of ready data to work from. When we look at what happened in the CMBS sector from March to June of 2020, um, what occurred is that there was an uptick of delinquencies in loans in CMBS in the first four months of the pandemic that got to the same rate of delinquency in four months that it took four years to reach in the great financial crisis. But what's very, very comforting to realize, Carol, is that as quickly as we saw defaults rise in CMBS last year, we then began to see them steadily decline. And just this past week, as TREP reported on the state of delinquencies in CMBS as of the end of May of 21, we reported that the CMBS delinquency rate has declined for the 11th consecutive month. Okay, So that is a very good sign. We know that a lot of servicers and lenders worked literally around the clock for months providing relief, providing forbearance, and doing everything possible to allow borrowers to manage through this crisis. Um, Along the way, we saw securitization of CMBS loans resume, and there has been lending on various property types that has picked up again since last summer and through through this time period, and we'll get, we'll get to that. Um, we also saw a very healthy return of CRE CLOs, another valuable debt instrument. It's shorter term. And that's been on the rise a lot. Um, and understandable that lenders are going for shorter term now. But again, they're lending. And that's what's critical. Now, when I say that lending has been taking place, I have to exempt from that uh, lodging and shopping mall loans, um, which were highly rare during this whole period. But we have some interesting news on, in both of those sectors to share that, that I think, again, speaks to an optimism, uh, not, not a pessimism. The, the, best, the best property groups throughout all of this have been multifamily um, and industrial. Um, when you look at multifamily, delinquencies have been low. Uh, lending to multifamily has been fairly steady. And the valuations of multifamily properties have remained high. Um, what we suggest people watch for, okay? Uh, look at the markets where there's been a demonstrable flight from the city to the suburbs and ask yourself how the multifamily properties that are in city are going to be impacted by that. 
Also, keep watching for when eviction moratoria uh, begin to end and and see how how those properties may fare uh, when those moratoria end. Um, if you look at the industrial space, there's really nothing negative to say about that at all, okay? Obviously, it's been the strongest performer in the commercial real right. estate sector. It has been aided by e-commerce. Uh, industrial sites are ideal for distribution centers. Um, and also, it's been aided by the need for more data centers. When you think of the cloud, you're basically talking about vast spaces that house a lot of servers. And industrial locations are, are, are frequently you know, the best suited for that. So that has performed well. Um, many more uh, industrial properties are being built. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's lending uh, taking place. Of course, as people in the CRE space, we know you always have to watch for saturation. Hotel and retail, I don't have to belabor the, uh, the problems they encountered. Um, but here's the good news. So certainly with hotel, while delinquencies shot up after the lockdown, um, they've been they've been declining, which is which is good. Um, the thing to watch for in hotels: look at the markets that were already a bit overbuilt before the pandemic. Okay, uh, recovery there is going to be more challenging because there's perhaps too many hotels. Um, also, look at the difference between the recovery in the leisure lodging market versus the business hotel market. Now, I do believe business travel is going to uh, pick back up. I think uh, the positive there uh, may be that, that even though a lot of people may rethink business travel um, for that one-day trip, that they could do as a two-hour Zoom call instead. So mm -hmm. it remains to be seen if business travel um, does or doesn't fully return. It may just take a different form in terms of um, more intentional uh, trips um, that are more packed as opposed to yep. not happening at all. So that's something to watch for. On the retail side, we know that retail was having problems but the retail that didn't have problems was the essential retail. Um, when you look at grocery anchored properties during the pandemic, they did very well. Other essential services uh, with important home improvement type anchors or the Targets and Walmarts that solved so many of our needs during the pandemic, um, mm -hmm. those retail properties um, uh, you know, did well. Um, so not all retail is, 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 is a problem. What needs to be watched, the continuing decline of many malls in this country is something to continue to watch. The entire uh, set of movie theater properties in the U.S. and um, what is happening to them, um, the smart movie theater owners are recreating the experience of that space we do expect, though, we're going to see some issues with movie theater properties that are going to have to be completely rethought for other uses. And we get to office. Act, yeah. act the most interesting part of the property sector. Um, despite low physical occupancy throughout this pandemic, and we've seen low office delinquencies We've seen continuing payment of office rent as corporate tenants have respected the long-term obligation, legal obligation they've had. So uh, not a lot of issues with office building delinquencies and not a lot of issues with office tenants defaulting on their leases. Um, also, throughout this period, lending has continued for office loans, okay? The things to watch for, okay? Watch for the markets that are showing big upticks in um, uh, increase in offering of sublease space, okay? That's a signal 
that some corporate tenants are trying to reduce all or some of their space. Also watch for how aggressively employers are bringing people back into the office and we're all going to learn a lot about how this new hybrid work. I think many, many business leaders are being very purposeful and, and um, aggressive about beginning to get people back to their offices. And I mean aggressive in a good way, okay? Um, I've spoken to business leaders who are planning, in many cases, a hybrid work week, an acknowledgement that, um, working from home remotely can be very productive. That certainly was our experience at TREP. But also an acknowledgement that there's a lot of value to working together. About hybrid weeks, many are using 3-2 as, as the, 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 the way to call it. Okay? When they talk about this hybrid week, the, the theme I hear is that they want the presence in the office to be very intentional. They're not merely saying, come to the office three days a week because you should be in the office at least three days a week. They're saying, plan your work week. Plan to be in with purpose. Plan to be in because other teams are in and working together, conversing together, whiteboarding together, collaborating, meeting. That's valuable. And plan your work and your meetings accordingly. For the work from home, do the administrative stuff there. Do the type of work that requires quiet thinking where you literally and figuratively shut your door. Do that at home. But the group work, the brain, you know, the, the brainstorming, the discussion, the debate, let's get together and do that as much as possible. So they're being very intentional. I've seen companies begin to post pictures on LinkedIn with photos of, of the leadership team and staff back in the office saying, we're back in the office. Businesses are looking at this as a way to send their clients a message that says, we are available to work for you in whatever capacity you need us to do so. I have heard of employee groups planning celebrations for when they get back. I have also heard of some companies encouraging their employees to come back and instilling in them a sense that they're performing a civic duty when they do so, that by going back to the office, they're sending a message to their community and their region that is helpful for that community and region, and that they're actually performing not only a professional responsibility, but a civic duty by being back in. And I found that incredibly interesting. That, that is probably um, another reason uh, for business, uh, business leaders and property owners to keep in mind, many of these business leaders have acknowledged that in at least um, a de facto way, a lot of hybrid work already existed pre-pandemic. A lot of corporate leaders I've spoken to have said they had a degree of flexibility. They had, you know, a, a, an understanding that there were times people needed to work from home for years. Um, while it may become more de jour and more institutionalized as a result of the pandemic, it is not as if every employee was always in the office every week, five days a week before the pandemic started. It's not as if business leaders didn't allow some work from home for various reasons at various times. It's not as if we are going from zero to 60 now with never having been hybrid and now we're going to have some hybrid. All of these are reasons why, Carol, we don't see office falling off a cliff at all. Um, we had a community call with a number of economists at TREP a few weeks ago, and it was very obvious that the whole concern that is the office market going to die is an absolutely unfounded fear. Um, and I think the other thing that I've heard from, from companies who are planning some hybrid work in the office and work from home is that they are also viewing it as fluid, subject to more adaptation, and an experiment. Um, and I've already heard of, 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 of people and departments in various companies, including my own, 
who still want a five-day-a-week presence in the office, even if it means different people in a given department get turns working from home two days a week, other weeks. For all those reasons, we're optimistic about the office market. Um, you know, things to watch for, but uh, you know, no near-term cliff falling. That, that's fantastic. Um, that was a really wonderful, comprehensive overview of the market and the various sectors. And I love the insights on especially the office market and the positive note um, mm-hmm. that, that, you're, that you're pointing out. And I think that the, the real hallmark here is going to be flexibility. Yes. Um, and you mentioned that, fluidity. And I think that that's very important. Um, it's hard to believe but we are almost out of time. This has been amazing. I think we could go for another three hours. Um, but but, <laughs> but let me ask you, uh, as, we, as we wrap this up, um, if there's any last um, messages you'd like to share with us, any themes you see for the next few years in commercial sure. real estate, and since you mentioned um, especially TREP's experience in New York after 9-11, mm-hmm. um, and we've been hearing and reading so much about New York. What's happening with New York? Is New York done? Is New York coming back? Is everyone moving to Florida? Um, I'm, I'm curious to hear your, your thoughts on that as well. Certainly, certainly. I think if there's an overarching message for everyone, it's um, this is an ideal time for creativity. It is an ideal time to acknowledge that some things are going to be different and are going to remain changed and what is the right way to respond to that creatively? What are other ways we enhance our properties? What are other ways we possibly reuse those properties? What is our creative approach to real estate and and the way people are going to need it now? I think, you know, an adage in real estate has always been location, location, location. And, of course, when you speak to capital providers, they would say, yeah, and borrower, 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 you know. I think the new catchphrase is going to be tenant, tenant, tenant. Understand the businesses that occupy the spaces that you own, the spaces that you lend on, and ask yourself realistically, what do you need to do creatively to keep them wanting to use that space what is the outlook for their business? From TREP's perspective, uh, we're returning to the office uh, in a few weeks. Um, we are planning uh, to have a volunteer phase one group of people who've been fully vaccinated uh, to come back in and uh, to uh, you know use the space through the summer months with a larger team of TREP employees joining us after Labor Day and after the school year resumes again for the working parents at TREP. Um, so we're looking forward to getting back in the office. Uh, one of the companies where there's an employee group planning a celebration on the return is a group of employees at TREP. So um, we're, we're looking to get back together as, as safely as com- and comfortably as possible. We are also planning a hybrid work week, um, and we're looking forward to seeing you know, how, how that plays out uh, with the overarching goal of always, always putting our clients and our service to them and their needs um, once we have first made sure that it is a safe environment for all of our people to be working in. That's fantastic. Thank you. Um, Anne-Marie, you have been so generous with your time and your, and your insights, and this has been such a pleasure for me to have this time to sit and chat with you. I really appreciated it. I know everyone listening to our podcast will really appreciate it enjoy it, and learn a lot from it as well. So I thank you very, very much for being with us today. Thank you, Carol. Thank you, everyone at Ackerman. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, Carol, that was a really good interview with Anne-Marie DeCola. Uh, She is just chock full of information, and I loved how positive her outlook was. I have talked with many business leaders and um, lawyers and non-lawyers alike, and She just resonated with me how positive she is on the market, how positive she is to uh, get the office, you know, office reopenings and 
different asset classes rebounding from the COVID pandemic. I really enjoyed that interview with her. And Carol, you did a great job talking with her. Thank you, um, Bo. I have to tell you, I've known Anne-Marie for at least 10 years. And I, I still didn't know many of the things that she talked about. And it was a pleasure to have the chance to talk with her. I really agree with your assessment that it was just a pleasure to hear how positive she is in so many respects, especially her comments about crisis breeding innovation and originality. And I, I just thought that was what a fantastic lesson to take away from the pandemic that we've just gone through in the last year and a half. And, and especially to hear how she had had a prior crisis. She had gone through the 9-11 uh, crisis in New York. And, and they really learned from that. And that made them even more successful and better able to deal with this pandemic immediately as soon as they needed to. So um, I, I really, I, I just felt that was such a good and positive takeaway from that. I agree, Carol and Bo. I, you know, I think her positive, you know, demeanor, you know, comes from, comes from a lot of resources, but it sounds like she gave a lot of credit to her family and her mother, especially growing up. Um, and that's actually what resonated with me initially when we first started speaking with her is just how um, she was told from the very beginning that really there there are no limits you know if there's something that you want badly enough that you you go out and get it you are able to accomplish whatever you set out to accomplish and I believe she certainly has shown us that that holds true she's she's been successful in every endeavor it sounds like that she's been a part of, which is which is very encouraging. You know, it was really really wonderful experience to get to speak to her and hear hear about all that she has been involved in. Thought it was great lesson for everybody. Yep. Well, it was a it was a really good interview, and we're looking forward to more interviews in the near future. Speaking of interviews in the near future, uh, we are. Uh, multiple trade organizations that we know of are getting back to uh, announcing in-person conferences and in-person events. So I anticipate that we'll be on the road at some point in the near future uh, at a at a conference or or some type of trade organization related activity. And we're hoping to have a new podcast out uh, in the next month or two that would. Uh, maybe uh, focus similarly on what we've done in the past with those trade organizations. So we will look forward to seeing all of these listeners on the next episode of Stacked Up. <laughs>